0: I'm Kathy Bruis, and this is What We Did Next, a Think at London Business School podcast where two inspirational alumni get together to talk about what they're doing in their careers, how they've got there, and what motivates them, especially when the going gets tough. In this episode, our guests are two MBA graduates, Marique Flamon and Oriol Fuentes Cabasco. Marique has held global roles at Louis Vuitton and BCG, and more recently Circle, one of the biggest crypto companies where she was Managing Director for Europe and Chief Marketing Officer. She's been named twice on the women in fintech power list. Now she's CEO at NIR Foundation and on a blockchain enabled mission to hand people back control of their online content and data. Oriol is co-founder and CEO of the social enterprise firm Kida, which aims to revolutionise care of the elderly so they're able to stay in their own homes for longer. He's also a former consultant. He worked at McKinsey and held advisory roles to the Catalan government before setting up KEDA, and while he was at LBS he won two student impact awards. Here they are exchanging their own personal stories, as well as giving us some great tips on everything from finding a true career path to leading with integrity, growing your company and managing at scale. So just in a nutshell, briefly, can you tell us one at a time just what you're doing right now and why you're doing it?
1: Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, I'm currently the CEO of KIDA, uh, KIDA Home Care uh, and founder. So basically, KIDA is is a social impact business uh, and we have a vision, a dual vision. Number one is that as much people as possible, as many people as possible, live longer lives, healthier lives at home. And the second one is that we return the social status to the caregivers uh, through training, through good labor conditions, by and by creating a sense of a community. And basically what I, what I do is I lead a team of, of 130 employees and over 2,000 caregivers that every day provide uh, over 15,000 hours of care uh, a day to the elderly.
2: Amazing. Uh, that's super inspiring already. I'm sure we're going to have a great conversation. Um, so on my side, uh, I I lead the Near Foundation. So I'm the CEO of the Near Foundation, and Near is a layer one blockchain protocol. Um, and so we are in the, in the jargon of blockchain, uh, what's called one of the fundamental uh, you know uh, protocol that's used to settle transactions. We are proof of stake, so it means we are. Uh, sustainable, climate neutral, um, and and all of that. But more importantly, the way um, our blockchain is designed is extremely usable and simple. And so what we believe in is empowering people to create without limits. Uh, That's how we think about it. Um, The role of the foundation, uh, because in in crypto, it's like very large and broad ecosystem. But the role of the foundation within a crypto ecosystem is threefold. One is actually to help raise awareness on You know, what is near protocol, but also what is Web3 and and what are the things that are possible to do uh, with that new technology. The second role is actually uh, to support the growth of the ecosystem. And so to give an idea, we have something like $1.5 billion uh, in capital to help distribute, to help grow a sustainable ecosystem. And the third part is enabling the ecosystem to grow through the right governance and to and to basically navigate the regulatory environment because in the crypto space there's a lot of things that are still to be defined. Um, so that's that's what I do.
1: Wow. Super cool. Super cool. I,
0: I noticed that immediately that both of you have taken something, you know, you're really innovating, which is really interesting. Tell tell me what's most exciting about what you're doing.
1: Well, I think there are A couple of things really, I think maybe let's step back and and why I made this choice uh, to set up KIDA and and that actually answers uh, what excites me. I made this choice after 10 years at the firm at McKinsey and and what I felt back then is that um, I wanted more direct social impact. I had a lot of impact, sometimes social and almost never direct. And so what I wanted is to change that equation. I wanted to directly impact people's lives, right? So that's what excites me um, in a nutshell, right? And then if we break that down, why excites me? is because um, number one is, is building a different culture, different way of doing things, um, empowering my team, uh, retaining and, 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 and really getting to know my team. I think that's something that really excites me to have an impact on the caregivers, uh, paying them more, uh, training them better, connecting them more, and really excites me that people live longer at home. Uh, I, I, I tend to say that I love the elderly people. I, I really I really enjoy being next to them. And, and it's, it's really, really, really good when, when they tell you, look, I, I'm really good at home, and I love being with this caregiver. Um, and then, you know, I could be speak about technology and innovation, all that stuff, and that also excites me. But really is about <laughs> culture, caregivers, and the elderly, I think, uh, what, what really drives me.
2: Yeah, and and for me, I think so. What really excites me is actually the the possibilities that actually blockchain gives um, to the world. I fell into crypto actually first time uh, end of twenty fifteen, uh, early twenty sixteen, and I remember perfectly the first moment when I understood actually what blockchain was and and what you could potentially do with it, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it and I I became really obsessed with it. Um, And so for me, it's like we can can reinvent and rethink actually a lot of the ways that things are constructed in today's society. And I'll give, for example, a very concrete example. Today, if you are actually uh, an online creator, let's say, uh, you know, Instagram influencer, when you create content, which is your work and and that's how you live your life because more and more people are redefining how they actually, uh, live their life and how they make an, a living, when you do that the content you create actually doesn't belong to you it belongs to a platform that is extremely centralized that actually uses data and monetize data from you and from and from others but you're basically at the, at the service of that and with blockchain what's possible is actually to flip that to say you're really the owner of the content you create, you decide if you want to share your data, if you want to monetize if you want someone else to actually help you participate and, and create that And when I think of the possibilities of that, it's endless. And I think that's what I'm most excited about in in the job I do uh, every day is that the possibilities are endless, the the boundaries of what can be moved are numerous. And every day in our jobs uh, in crypto, we think about, of course, it goes from technology and what the techs enable, but also like what's the social contract that you reinvent? How actually are communities engaging? What does it mean to work today and what will it mean to work in the future? What are, what are the new economic relationship within an ecosystem? So there's so many things to actually, be, you know, reinvent and redefine, but which I think can be actually very good for, uh, for society. And this,
0: this sort of desire to kind of have, you know, have some impact. Did that, were the sort of seeds of that sown at LBS to some extent in the people that you met or where does that come from?
1: Yeah, well, actually, there's a very good story about that, about LBS. The day one that that we joined uh, the MBA, I think it was around July or August uh, 2013, in my case. We had a very good professor during the first week, almost the first class, that told us, look, if your best friend had to read something about you in your funeral, what would that be? You've got 24 hours to write that. And that was actually the first essay. And uh, and I started writing it and and what I was writing I, I I thought everyone liked it but me. So it was saying something like, Look, I'll 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 lead the healthcare practice for McKinsey in Europe and you know I'll be a good father. I, I really like the part of being a good father. I, I really like the part of leading McKinsey, but somehow it didn't feel right to me. I was missing something. So Then I started to write something like, and it took quite a lot of time that that evening, something like, I'll transform how people live uh, through what I know, which is healthcare. Uh, People will live longer lives thanks to this knowledge. Uh, And I want to be remembered as someone that changed society, the world, because people live longer at home. And I said, this sounds sounds exciting. I, I want to be this guy and a good father. And then... It just it just felt great. And and so the next day, I, I handed it over. So for me, um, this was one of the moments where I would say the MBA helped, which was mainly to ask the right question at the right time. And that's, we're talking about 2013. I did start KIDA five years later. Uh, but I think that time is when I really thought I, I want to be this guy and I'm going to invest the next 20, 30, 40 years building, building this story. And uh, yeah, I would say... Uh, Then I spent two years at LBS really refining that vision, Um, talking to friends, colleagues, students. uh, You know, I remember my best best friend, his brother has a similar company in Canada, right? So that was a big inspiration. And and my best friend is from LBS also. So so yeah, I I would say through that uh, essay, through the experience of my best friend uh, that I made at LBS, and of course, all the coaching support of student inspiration, I, I just got to Shape, shape that vision and then I returned to the farm I did more healthcare for three four more years and then I said now it's time to jump and and yeah I jump into the pool and there is water uh, like we say in Spain so yeah uh, I did not crash
2: <laughs> yeah it's an amazing story so I had similar experience with the eulogy I think it's it's also a journey right to to what you were saying it's a journey of it's like finding out, you know, who you are, what resonates and actually how you can be perfectly in sync with what you do. Um, so actually, similarly to you, for me, I've been obsessed since the young age of like making an impact. And and my husband was always making fun of me because when I'm, you know, when I'm a bit tipsy, I'm like, I want to make an impact. And I was like, what is making an impact? <laughs> but you get into all those, you know, into all these things actually that force you to put yourself in front of a mirror and actually thinking through you know what are you good at what does the world need and actually what is it that you enjoy doing yeah i think you know the time at lbs as you said earlier, is also a time of self-reflection right you're surrounded by by coaches you have time to think you you have time to ask yourself all those questions and you you see people so right classmates who've done different things who can open up your eyes to to basically a bunch of new possibilities right so this time for self-reflection helps you find what are you really good at? What does the world need? And actually what excites you? And, and if you can find that, which is a journey, then I think that's really where you can make an impact. Yeah.
1: No, I really, I really agree. I think for me, the one of the main benefits of taking the time and, and really investing in an MBA and, and going to a school such as LBS, I think is is really the, the time to find your way. Uh, you know, like in life, we spend a lot of time working, 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 but really stopping and thinking really helps you because of the context uh, and all the coaches and, and all the friends, students, professors, companies around. Yeah, it, re- it really helped me. I mean, I, I wrote that article and I felt like, wow, that sounds inspiring. But then we, we now need to fill up for like this promise, right? So, so we, we've got a lot of work to do, but it was fun. It was very fun.
0: Sorry, Marique, just tell us a little bit about your journey immediately after LBS and how you sort of have got to where you are now.
2: Yeah, so actually I got in, I got in the MBA with um, a very fixed idea in mind, which was to uh, do strategy consulting. And actually, Aurel, probably similar to you, I, I had this vision of I'll be either a partner in a consulting firm or I'll be leading a strategy department. Uh, I think I wrote that like Nike or something like that because I love sports. But somewhere that didn't... It also felt like not not really true. It was more driven by, you know what people around you do and, and I think also what society expects you to do, or if you've been trained a certain way, there is a certain path that is in front of you. Um, and so, so I got in the MBA with that very fixed view. So I, I did my internship at BCG and then after, after the internship, I was offered, um, a role at BCG. And so I did that, uh, for something less than two years. Um, and and actually, it was a fantastic experience. I learned a ton because in strategy consulting, you learn a lot. Like you learn like you know many cases and to crack and to propose and so on and so forth. But but I I was not in sync actually, and and a part of me was like, well, I want to stay with the clients. <laughs> I want to do it, <laughs> and I don't want to just advise, and and I don't want to stay on on the sideline and and then not know if something has come out of it. Um, and so that's when, um, with my husband, actually we did the MBA. We did the MBA together. So we were at the time in Paris, but we decided to to go back to London because he was also starting his company, uh, his company there. I thought, okay, this is maybe an opportunity to change, right, and to leave consulting and to actually do something else. Um, and I I interviewed for a lot of companies. I actually found my job on the LBS. Uh, Uh, portal alumni for jobs there was an advertising for a role at hotels.com which is part of Expedia. and i thought okay i'm gonna apply to that and i applied i fell in love with the people i you know one of those moments where you go into the company and i was like oh they're so like i felt in sync right and and i had ideas for what could change on the website and and they were so positive about taking it on board that i thought okay i'm gonna be able to do something there so I stayed at uh, Hotels.com for uh, a little bit over four years um, and I grew quite a lot with the company, which was absolutely fantastic. And, And then I was headhunted in end of 2015 for... Uh, at the time, the way it was pitched to me was, uh, there is this Bitcoin startup and they're looking for someone. I was like, well, wrong number. <laughs> you know, what am I, the Bitcoin in my head was like, you know, for drug dealers. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing any of that. Um, but the, I'm very lucky because the, the headhunter insisted I said, please read the brief, read the brief. And I, I read the brief and that's how I felt completely in love with the technology. And I was in a way very lucky because the that first firm uh, is called Circle is one of the largest crypto firm today so i was part of that journey for uh, for over 3 years um and so i saw the space grow i i learned i learned a ton i, I had a, a a lot of impact on shaping the early days of, of what happened with that um and then i've been through like a lot of you know very high very low restructuring and changing things um, I became a mom uh, early 2019 I, I felt it was time to do something maybe maybe different baby more stable so I think I was trying to get back <laughs> you know to get back in some sort of a, of a, of more structured uh, path and I worked for uh, Natwest for a bank I led their digital bank. Um, Metal. So I was the, the CEO of that uh, of that digital bank for for two years, and then again I was headhunted uh, over a year ago now for for Near, which is the project I work for, and I just couldn't resist it. Like I, I, you know, when everything again it was people. The people are fantastic, and I was like, oh my god, the, the people is fantastic. The technology is finally what I was hoping to have when I was in my first role in crypto, which was not there, which was unusable, which was not user friendly. Um, and so and so, I jumped back. So, yeah, that's, that's how I got to, to where I am so far. So, so both of you
0: also, I noticed, you know, I'm interested in sort of where this kind of confidence comes from to take these quite big risks and make these quite big leaps.
1: Well, I guess uh, I would say it comes from three places, right? I think one is, in my case, uh, I've been a climber all my life and I was climbing when I was two and three and four and, and every single weekend with my parents. And I think that taught me that there's no way back. <laughs> so you either go up or you go up. Uh, but I really feel that, that, that the, the climbing and the hiking uh, when I was very young, I think it, it shaped me in many ways. I think too, uh, my mom always tells me that Uh, we we, we run marathons together and and she tells me that when you are very, 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 very tired, you can still do one more step. Uh, There's never, like, I can't, she tells me, you you should never think that you cannot do one more step, right? And that gives me confidence to think, well, if I can do one more step, I can do almost infinite steps because I can always do the next one. So that's that. And then the third one, I would say it comes more from, from experience and uh, over time, you see, you make a lot of mistakes. Uh, but things don't break down in a way that you cannot uh, repair them, right? Uh, and even sometimes you break something that that brings something better later on. So I would say those, the, the, the climbing, the, 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 the mindset of you can always do one more step and then the experience of making mistakes, learning from them, And and knowing that you come back up stronger as a company or, or as a professional, I think, yeah, I would say confidence comes a bit from there.
2: It's really interesting because in the question, you know, You you like it's when we're talking about risks and taking risks and big leaps sometimes i don't i don't see it that way and so for me it's the way i've been raised so i've been raised in a lot of uh, different countries so i've been unplugged a lot um I'm, i'm french but i lived in in holland in italy in china in hong kong in in the uk and so i've always had that like you know you have to start again and and actually you have to speak with other people who you know don't speak your language or you don't speak their language, and in a way you have to put yourself out there to try to to get somewhere. so that definitely shaped me um quite a lot into this you know like experience and and just going for it and and at the end of the day, people are people are very nice and and you can learn a ton from from what's around you. Um, The other thing I would say is also, so you mentioned sports, Oriol, and it's uh, similar for me. I, I actually, I play basketball, I still play basketball, but I think sports shapes you into this, like, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And actually, you have to keep going, right? Because uh, maybe you'll be defeated that one time, but actually you can learn from it and you can keep going back at it. And I think sports makes it also like a, it's an adventure of, you know, can you do the next tournament? Can you do the next competition? And 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 uh, in my experience, at least um, because basketball is very much a, a team sports, it's also shaped a lot of how I think about like, you know, building teams and, and, and working together on that. But definitely sports, I think is a good for, you know, maybe you'll climb and you fall and you need to climb up again and you need to, to do and you need to do again. And and the last thing I would say is um and maybe that's come more from I get that question a lot as also you know as a woman like how do you you know take those those roles and how do you do that and I think here one of my uh, best empowerment actually uh, through my career has been my husband because he's the one who actually encouraged me you know when i was in my cozy job at expedia and just being promoted i was like leaving you know for me that was like that's it you know and he was like no but a startup yeah there's no way back like you have to try you have to go for it and i think if you if you have that then it doesn't feel like risks or leaps actually it feels like you know you have a support network around you because what you do also around is to say that it's very consuming right and you, we're all try, we're trying to have families and a life and and lead teams and create business, businesses, but you can't do that if you don't have around you people who believe that you can actually also do all of that, um, and they make the safety so that you can actually achieve uh, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I really agree, and, and maybe two two additional points. One is, I was I was lucky enough to find my wife in in LBS, so that's a big a big a big point, and, and she's really supportive and has been really supportive throughout uh, both the McKinsey time as well as the last four, five years setting up KIDA. And the other thing to answer also the question and to compliment is that sometimes you are not confident uh, and it's okay. (laughs) Like sometimes we, or I used to think uh, when I started as a CEO, like, look, I always need to be right. I need to show myself always strong. I cannot be vulnerable and this is about me. And what you realize is that as the company grows, people actually appreciate that you show yourself vulnerable when you are, of course, you cannot fake it. Um, And two, it's good for your also mental health and your your well-being that you accept that sometimes you will be uncomfortable and sometimes, you know, you don't know the way. Um, And that's how you grow. Right. Uh, So, so for me, yeah, that's that's also an interesting reflection. You don't always need to be at a one hundred percent confident to progress. Uh, sometimes you will make progress.
2: Yeah, I think that's really powerful because actually you get also, and maybe it's a, maybe management is also changing. But I'm I'm completely with you, right? Like being able also to say, well, I I know I don't know that part, and actually I need to lean on my team and I need help from people to do that. I I also see that people follow you know, follow more and actually much more receptive to that. Uh, and I think COVID, I don't know how it's been for you overall, but like leading through COVID and managing teams through COVID, the reality is that, you know, we didn't know, like we got unplugged like very fast, had to go into remote and everybody, every day was like trying to navigate with the best of intention and, you, you know, how do you do that? There is no playbook <laughs> for doing that.
1: I agree. fully agree. <laughs>
2: I thought it might be
0: interesting for people to hear about some of the big challenges that you're facing at the moment and how you're going to tackle those.
1: So, so maybe for us at KIDA, um, let me give a bit of context on where we are and, and what are the two, three big big challenges we have ahead. Um, so I was mentioning before, we are 130 people in, in three, no, in four locations right now. Um, Barcelona, Madrid, Basque Country and, and in Pamplona. We we have around over 2,000 caregivers every morning going to work. Uh, this is around 25 times more than when we first spoke. So it's it's grown a lot. Um, I would say in, in this context, big challenges ahead. I would say one has to do with how you scale at pace while keeping quality of care. Um, I think that's, It's a really big question for us because we we take care of the elderly, the most vulnerable in many instances. And so um, really, that's an area I I want to speak about. And I would say the other one is how you keep culture uh, together when you scale so quickly. So basically how you manage growth. (laughs) And that has an impact on quality and that has an impact on culture. In terms of quality... I would say for us that the key thing has been twofold. One is technology, investing a lot of technology that help us scale. Uh, so basically takes out stuff that could be done by a machine and and it's actually and should stop being done by a human. So, so that is helping us a lot. And the other thing is the model of care is all based on the care coordinator and the care coordinator manages 80 cases. And that's what that means is that it doesn't matter if you are at 2,000, 8,000, 50,000 or a million customers because a caregiver will always manage 80 customers, right? So that's for us really, really critical. So, so that's on the, on the scaling with the quality, which has led to super good MPS and, 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 and really, really good retention of customers, right? So that's number one. And then number two on culture. That's a, a really tricky one, right? Like, so, for example, last, last Monday, 11 new colleagues on boarded, right? Every three weeks we have new people. And I, I sent an email to everyone and I said, hey, you know that today we grew 10%. As leaders of the organization, I wrote to 130 of them. As leaders, what will you do? Because today we just grew 10%. There is 10% of this body that we are one that are completely new. And, and the last year, over 50% of us has only been here one year. So what will we do as leaders, right? And I think that seeing culture as, I would say, top one, two, three priority is, is, is critical. And, and that's how we are tackling it. Like, just putting it on the top of the list, not just for the CEO, but for everyone. Uh, I think, I think that's, that would be my, my two biggest challenges right now. Our two biggest challenges.
2: Yeah, scaling scaling paints, right? And um, there's the thing, but it's it's so true, right? Like a company of ten people is not the same as a company of fifty. And when you reach the the mark you're at, like hundred, ten, twenty, like it changes it changes drastically. Um I think on so on my side actually, maybe starting with a challenge that that is that is similar but I had never faced actually before is in crypto, um, everything is the technology is open source, so anyone anywhere can actually participate. Right? If you want to build something on near protocol, you can you can actually do that. And what that creates is actually decentralized ecosystem. And managing, if if even there is such a word, of managing a decentralized ecosystem uh, is something that I'm still you know trying to wrap my head around because actually in a in a large corporate you know. Uh, vision comes from the top and then you implement and then actually people fall into place. Uh, But in a decentralized, permissionless, open ecosystem, uh, anyone anywhere can actually participate and and contribute to what's happening. And yet, you know, uh, it needs some mechanism of coordination and governance and so on and so forth. So I think that is, you know, one of the the human coordination challenges that we have. and, And on that, we actually... Trying to you know um, figure out how can we actually leverage, for example, on blockchain you can do voting mechanism, gathering of groups and people deciding. So the tools are there, but you still need to think through like how do you actually organize uh, work so that it's so that it's sufficient. Um, the the second one I would say is um, we've been so uh, the whole the whole crypto space has been through like a phase of of phenomenal growth right so it was like just it was almost so much that it was some of it was just it felt mad right you know when you're in a place where it's like it's the speed of the influx of capital is humongous the speed of decision making and sometimes some part of that is is just um almost becoming irrational now things have cooled down quite a bit and and we are in in what's referred to as like a crypto winter or like a bear market but navigating that and finding the right balance between Still, the speed of execution, the high quality of execution, uh, the right capital allocation, uh, and not you know not losing track of continuing to build—that's that's definitely a challenge on our on our side. And maybe the last one, um, the last one I have is in the whole crypto space. There is a lot of conversations with regulators and and, uh, and with governments, and and a lot is still unknown. Uh, And that's extremely difficult to navigate because um, sometimes, you know, it's, it's like, you need to make judgment calls on, you know, where are the boundaries in something that's not defined. Right. And that that requires actually a lot of, uh, a lot of research, a lot of actually having the right advice and and being surrounded by, you know, uh, people who can actually help on that, but also like engaging in dialogues with people and lawmakers and so on and so forth. And, and that's almost like for the entire um, crypto space, that's a, that's a big focus, right? Because it's the same as if we think, you know, when Google and Facebook were born, today we are. We have legislations that are coming into place because now they are giants and, and now they have an impact on society. And I think there's a, a role to play to, to shape that in the right way before it gets too late. Uh, but it's it's um, it's also quite something that's quite, quite challenging. So, yes, yeah, so I would say those three, you know, what does it mean to actually manage decentralized, you know, ecosystem and teams? Um, managing speed through a bear market and, and uh, the uncertainty of regulation and how to help manage. And through that are, are three of our biggest challenges. So I was going to ask, you know, what your
0: sort of tips are for listeners in terms of building their own impactful career. And, and one thing that um, I'm <laughs> very curious about myself because I struggle with it is, it's sort of, you know, when you're, when you're growing these, these big uh, enterprises, and there's the, you know, the opportunity and the sort of the ambitions are so big, how do you sort of stay focused yourself on kind of what you need
2: to achieve? Yeah, so um, one of my best tips actually, I have a I have a career coach. So back to sports, right? I I didn't train my coach <laughs> all my life, and so I take my career the same way. So I have I have a career coach because I think sometimes, and it's pretty similar to you, Oriol, like in the positions we're in we don't get feedback and and the feedback you get is quite different. We'll get feedback from, you know, our board or, but but it's not, it's not necessarily the same as when you're managed. Um, And so I think having that and continuously also getting on your own journey for growth, whatever that is, I think is really important. And I think maybe it's, it's the the beginning of the conversation we had, right? But when we were talking about making an impact, I think this journey of self-reflection of who you are, what you enjoy and, and where can you make an impact? To me, that's a continuum, right? And, and we leave, I think it's actually Linda Grayton. I'm a huge fan of her work um, and, and actually uh, heard her, f- of course, at London Business School many times. But this idea of like, you know, we live a hundred years' life and we have phases through it. Um, and so, how to think through those phases? Um, so, my best advice would be, you know, getting someone to help uh, you through this journey. Uh, spouses and partners are great but sometimes you might want to talk about something else and so having you know a coach to help you navigate through that and and continually self-reflecting because even though lbs gives you this window which is such a luxury to have that window to self-reflect i think it's a it's it's something really important to continuously do uh, to then be true to who you are and and the more true to who you are then probably the biggest impact the more in sync you can be and and then things basically can grow
1: yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that was said. I was thinking, what what, what valuable addition can I make? I would say um, on top of the career coach and, and the spouse and so on, which I fully agree, um, and of course, stopping and reflecting, I think for me has also been having a, an advisory board that is, not only worried about or thinks about the vision and the mission and the, the roadmap of the company and the performance of the company, but also about the growth of the top two, three, four people in the management team because up there or in that place, not necessarily up there, but in that place is quite cold and lonely. So I think having a, an advisory board or an advisory set of advisors doesn't have to be a board. That support you throughout your growth, I think, is really important, and that they go above and beyond the mission and the vision and the performance of the company. They actually think about you as a human and where and where you are going. I would add, but I really agree with uh, what was mentioned.
0: And um, and, and t- in terms of your leadership, how 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 has what you sort of known and experienced through through leading these organizations? How, how has your leadership developed? I think there
1: are a set of things that haven't changed, and I think there are a set of things that have changed. Uh, things that haven't changed, I would say three things. Transparency, consistency, and being close to people. Those things haven't changed, like super transparent, like every Thursday we share how the company is going, where we're going, what are the challenges, we listen. People really appreciate that. Consistency is is the is what underpins culture to me. Um, you can have, or you can say you have any culture, but if you're not consistent, this, the whole company leaving that culture. Um, one wrong decision can break up a hundred good decisions. So for me, it's consistency and being obsessed about the power of consistency when it comes to big decisions that impact and small decisions that impact culture. And then. And then this third aspect of being a leader that, that is close. I mean, I know the name of the 137 employees by heart. Um, and I make it a goal, not for me, but for everyone. Uh, how can we not be able to remember that? Of course we are. It just takes a little bit of an effort, right? And it signals how important it is, any, any one of us in, in this organization that we call as one, Right. That's on what have not changed. What has not changed. What what I has changed, and this I would say comes back from, from LBS and then the, the years after. I would say two things. I think one is I used to be someone that was really thinking about the long term and forgot a bit about the short term and the midterm to fill it up. So you know the CEO that is a visionary, okay, we need to get from Barcelona all the way to Beijing. But I would forget that, that we need to go through France, through Italy. I, I forgot about all of that, right? So really understanding that to get to the long term, you need to, to work on the short term and the mid term. I think basically learning that you have to work on the three of them at the same time. And the other one is something that is a tip that I, was, I, I received at LBS and I think is great, is my job is not to do those things that I can do best. My job is to do only those things that only I can do. Um, if if I focus on doing those things that I can do best, uh, I will end up doing the job of many people in the organization. Because of course I've been doing them for longer because I was the first employee. Uh, but my job is not to do that. My job is to do only those things that only I can do. Uh, and, and I think that changed a lot. Uh, the first two years I was doing everything. Uh, and and i think when we reached 30 35 employees maybe we reached i don't know 10 million sales gmb is when you realize well if we have to go to 130 <laughs> that's a whole different game uh, and now when i think about you know the next phase like doing times 10 over the next 3 years i really know we need to change some things of the leadership uh, my leadership capabilities and and yeah I, I keep being obsessed about what i do and how i spend time and 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 how i empower the team to to grow more and more and more
2: one thing you you mentioned which made me think about that i don't know if it was the same probably for you also but like um in our careers we go from First being, you know, it's about us as individual contributors, right? And it's, it's about like the role, it's what you mentioned, right? What can you do and what can you deliver? Can you deliver that Excel model and so on and so forth? And and one of the very first big shift um, is like starting to manage a first team, right? What does it mean? And how do you actually, this is not about you anymore. It's actually about others. And how do you create the platform so that others can thrive and therefore and therefore, what is, you know, what is the culture? What is it that other people um, need to actually thrive on that? Um, I think that's that's one key fundamental shift. Um, and through that, it's interesting also one, um, you know, the, the, that first step when I reflect on it, that first small team you managed and then like the next larger and then after that, then the, I think the first step, at least for me, was much bigger than the steps after that. Because once you find the, the rules for, the rules for good communication the rules for building trust the rules for building like alignment and, and all of that um, I think I think those become you know applicable to, to any place um, that being said you know I think uh, I'm constantly learning also like how to tweak right I'm also taking my leadership as, an, as a continuum of experiment like you know um, there's this say like what got you to where you are want won't get you to where you need to go and that's so true right and it, so even like you know for example, um, what's the right frequency of communication in a given time and how do you do that? Do you do that in writing? Do you do that in actually a public forum? Do you record? Do you do it live? Do you take questions? So all of that, I I think, you know, I've I've experimented a lot and I think COVID was a, a massive accelerator for actually saying like there is a you know there is new tools and new ways to actually think through how you can communicate how you can align and how you can actually um engage engage with people um so yes yeah, so i would say it's um it's a continuum right i think i don't know about you Aurel, but i feel i'm you know every week sometimes i'm also i'm gonna see other people i'm gonna be oh they do that that's great maybe i could you know borrow that idea and tweak it and make it something that will make me a better leader and, and if your team says, like, no, cut it, that was not good, then I'm like, okay, fine, <laughs> change. <laughs> Thank you both, that's great. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to
0: ask each other that's just come out that you're b- burning question that you're desperate to know about the other one?
2: <laughs> yeah, why did you join LBS?
1: <laughs> for me, for me was how international it was. Um, I was the, the typical Spanish guy that had never almost left Spain and I mean, it's not like London is super far from Spain anyway, but I, it was about the environment that was created, number one. And then number two, for me, was all the club experience, like all the clubs that are set up and all the community. Um, I think that's really important. I was part of the football team, the football club, the healthcare club, the entrepreneurship club, the um, volunteering club. I think for me, that was like a fundamental part. And then the quality, not only the diversity, which is, of course, key, and the nationalities and so on, but also the quality of the professors and the quality of the students, like, as people, you know, like, as I said, my wife from LBS, my best friend from LBS, I mean, that, that, the other very good friends from LBS, I think that really shapes who you are. And it's, it's great because it's for, for, for life, right? Yeah.
2: It's it's actually so it's super similar um, for for me. So we actually we wanted to get both together in there because um, I met my husband before the MBA, uh, but we wanted to do an MBA together. And so when we were actually thinking through and looking at things, it was like, well, so he's Spanish, I'm French. So it was like, okay, so it needs to be, you know, it's neither one or the other. It needs to be somewhere somewhere neutral. So London is a great neutral place to do that. But then the just the international appeal uh, of London Business School was just, you know, uh, and and as I mentioned, you know, I, I traveled quite a lot and I lived in different countries, but this was something to the level I've never seen, right? And this uh, like opportunity to be with uh, classmates that come from, you know, hundreds of different countries and therefore bring a different perspective and help you build the person you're going to be next, I think was amazing. And I agree also the other part you mentioned, which is unique to LDS, the clubs. The clubs are in the hands of students. And therefore you have this unique opportunity to almost be you're an entrepreneur, right? Like whatever events you're going to organize, it's on you to create these events. And um, and so I, I was part of the basketball club. Um, I helped quite a lot the luxury goods club because I started my career at LVMH. And so I felt I could actually give something to that club. Not that I wanted to continue my career there, but I had, you know, a network that I could leverage. And I think it it helps you you know, you have to think: How do you organize an event? How do you get people to come to that event? Who is your network? How do you start getting, you know, influential people to come and actually contribute to value? Um, yeah, and I think the same. Like it's been it's been transformational. It's it's an experience that today we carry today. Like there is the network we have, and I'm sure it's the same for you, Ro. But like the number of LBS alums that are. Anywhere, everywhere, whatever problem you have, whatever market you want to enter, there is someone who's going to either, yeah, it's like, it's it's amazing. So yeah, that's super, super powerful.
1: I agree a lot. Well, it's been super nice uh, to have this conversation. Really, thanks uh, to you, of course, Marik and, and to LDS. Uh, I really enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, same here. It was fantastic. I think we could keep going on and exchange tips on, you know, all the things that we're seeing and the challenges we're facing. Uh, it's been really inspiring to hear about your story, Oriol. So thanks a lot for the time and thank you to LBS. Thank
1: you so much.
2: You've been listening to What We Did Next from Think London Business School.
0: You can find more alumni stories together with thought leadership from London Business School professors at london.edu forward slash think. And if you are an alum and you'd like to take part in a future episode of what we Did next, drop me a line at kbrews at london.edu.
2: I'd love to hear from you.